Pacers free agency day two. Obi Toppin is an Indiana Pacer. Chris Duarte is headed somewhere else. O'Shea Brissett is a Boston Celtic. What is the Pacers roster at now? What's their cap situation? Could anything else be coming? Let's talk about it all today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, another Sunday bonus episode, two bonus episodes, seven days a week for free agency, to talk about day two of Pacers free agency a trade that a lot of fans like. We'll discuss the Duarte trade, the details that we do and don't know right now. O'Shea Brissett is headed elsewhere. The Pacers roster is taking shape. We had a summer league practice. Guys congratulating Halbert on his extension. There's a lot to cover, but we'll cover all the moves today here on the Lockdown Pacers podcast, starting with Obi Toppin to the Pacers, the Knicks forward coming to Indiana, Adrian Wojnarowski tweeting uh, at 2.59 p.m., uh, and it took me about a million years to actually open a tweet, so uh, clap for me. Twitter is destroyed right now. Knicks are finalizing trade to send forward Obi Toppin to the Pacers for two future second-round picks. Um, that is the trade. Obi Toppin to the Pacers for two seconds. And so starting at the value is where I want to go here. Uh, the seconds are unknown which ones, but here's the thing, right? Regardless of how you feel, about Obi Toppin's fit with the Pacers, right? What positions he plays, what what he looks like next to Jairus Walker, if that's even possible, or how you feel about Obi Toppin's talent level. If you're really high on Obi Toppin, or even if you're really low on Obi Toppin, a former top 10 pick, yeah, I don't like using draft position to, to tie it to a guy's value, but a former top 10 pick who has actually shown the flashes of being a good player, he had 66 points against the Pacers in two games in, in April of this year. Uh, and just hasn't been able to get opportunity for the team he's on, and, and certainly has athleticism and fits with the team, that is a great trade price. So even if you're low on Obi Toppin to me, and you don't care that he was drafted eighth, this trade price is fantastic. Even if this is the best two seconds the Pacers trade, and I will say the fact that he is on a rookie-scale deal, he was a top-10 pick, he's only 25, to me I would guess that at least one of these seconds is good, like maybe the Phoenix 2028 ones in there. I don't know if they get other seconds and other deals that are out there, but uh, I would guess that these are at least somewhat good. But regardless of how you feel about Toppin, this value is fantastic, and this upside swing is really smart for a Pacers team that needs fours, right? And Jarris Walker is a four, but Jarris Walker is two inches shorter than Obi Toppin. Like, this is size at the power forward spot. The Pacers have needed that for forever, and Obi Toppin has it, and he's got athleticism. He had that insane dunk in the preseason against the Pacers last year. He obviously dunks all the time. I think he won the dunk. I forget if he won the dunk contest or not. I'm not going to lie. I don't watch the dunk contest, but he's a very good dunker, obviously. He's great in the open floor, and that is obviously the highlights of his game, but you can tell that he's improved the other aspects of his skills, similar to what we talked about with Bruce Brown yesterday, ironically, where... You know, last year in Denver, Bruce Brown finally got the threes up. It's not even that they went in. It's that he shot enough at volume to make you confident he'll take them when they're open. Last year, Obi Toppin took almost four threes a game. His previous career high was 2.3, right? His previous career high three-point attempts 
was his second season at 169. He's 250 last year, right? And he had a career-high percentage at 34.4. That's just average. It's not that good, but that is a significant improvement for him. He isn't just limited to being in around the basket player. He's got the bounce. His defense is not the greatest, but at the size he provides, still an element the Pacers don't have of just having a six foot nine dude. Right now it's him and Wara. Last year it was Brissett and Wara, and Jarrett Walker is going to play huge. I have no doubt about that. But having more guys at this size, something the Pacers haven't had for years, is significant. They now have three actually power forward size dudes in Toppin, Walker, and Wara to throw out on the court at the four spot. And I think that is significant for this Pacers team. So just running through this, I think, you know, I think obviously the Pacers fans are going to be higher on Obi Toppin than the general consensus right now just because of those games we just saw in April right the 32 uh and Gamebridge and the 34 and MSG I hope I don't have those backwards right and he was amazing in both of those games he looked totally unstoppable but like that is you know near the highlights of, of his career in terms of a scoring perspective right having 30 point games twice in a couple days in fact this past season he had 30 points twice on the whole season and it was those two games right okay I had it right 32 in Gabridge 34 in MSG and he only scored more than 20 one other time he had 21 against the Wizards also in April I might add the only time uh the only other two times he exceeded 15 were earlier in the season but a lot of his big scoring outbursts were late in the year and kind of we're resting guys mode kind of games. And it was April ball that he was scoring against the Pacers. Like he, he is not at that level of player that Pacers fans saw at the end of the season. He is an upside swing, especially at that price though. And I think like Bruce Brown, something that makes a lot of sense here is the fit, right? Bruce Brown, a big talking point I had on yesterday's show about him signing with the Pacers. He fits so well. He's good in the open floor. He can do a lot of those dummy guard screens that Pacers like to do. He's their best point of attack defender now on the wing or one of them. Just kind of exactly what they need in many ways. Even if he's down a little bit on a few skills from last year, he'll be a great fit with the Pacers. Toppin uh, maybe isn't like that level of point of attack defender and decision maker, but uh, a different system with the floor spacing big, right, without Mitchell Robinson under the rim or Taj Gibson like they had for a couple years, or even Julius Randle, who's an okay floor spacer. Um, with the floor spacing big on the court next to Obi Toppin, as well as a distributor like Tyrese Halliburton, as well as playing on a team that runs in transition instead of a more half-court-based team like the Knicks, all seem like, to me, things that should help Obi Toppin play more like the guy that was at Dayton, right? He can run. He'll get the ball when he needs to, like Halliburton tweeted and and likened it to um, to Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. I almost said Tyreek Evans because I'm on Pacers brain mode. Uh, Pat Mahomes and, and Tyreek Hill, he said, I'll just throw it up to Obi and he'll dunk it, right? Like that that fit makes a lot of sense. That's kind of the Isaiah Jackson offense, except Obi has you know a little bit, a lot more of a well-rounded offensive game. So I think his fit with the Pacers is better than his fit with the Knicks. And a part of the problem with the Knicks too is Julius Randle's at his position. He needs a ton of minutes every night, and Tibbs plays his starters a lot. So there's never a lot of opportunity for him. I think a big part of this for the Knicks is he never played more than 17 minutes a game for them. Right? He could definitely get more game run and growth with the Pacers. I don't know exactly how many minutes he'd get up to, especially if him and Jarris are just splitting the four-man duties. But it's more than 17, right? It's probably more than 17. And another another part of this, and part of the reason I think the cost might be so good for the Pacers and why I think, even, again, even if you're low on top, and I think this is great a great trade value for the Pacers is, 
The Knicks, they spent a bunch of money on Dante DiVincenzo yesterday. Because of some unlikely bonuses they have on their cap sheet, they were flirting with the luxury tax. They might not have gone over, even in the worst-case scenarios this year, but they were flirting with it, right? And so by trading away Toppin, they now have more wiggle room to do everything they wanted to construct their team. So they didn't play him that much and didn't prioritize him in these last couple of years. They had some financial juggling to do, and the Pacers said, hey, we need fours. We have these second-round picks. Here you go. We'll see what those picks actually are. I don't know that at this time. Uh, but we'll see what that is. But either way, the value is good to me. It's going to be interesting to see how Toppin fits positionally with this team, right? He's more 4-5 than 3-4, which would have been ideal. But at this price, you can't complain. But like Bruce Brown, again, he fits really well with the Pacers' identity. They've done well with that in this. Um, so I'll be curious what positions he can play. Can he play with Jarris Walker? Or do they just kind of split duties? Can either of them play the five at all? I think that is a question to ask about the Pacers' roster construction going forward. Toppin's improving jumper is something to monitor this coming season. His rim finishing, though, obviously the dunks are what they are. He is dunks all the time. Last year, 52 dunks, 102 the year before. 23.5% of his shot attempts in his second season were dunks. Last year, that was down to 15% because he is rounding out his game. Either way, he finished 74% of his shots at the rim last year, right? Like, he's a good rim finisher, even beyond the dunking. That's valuable. He's a good cutter. So his defense isn't great for his size, but he has size. And I think if I had to zoom all the way out and just sum him up like this, right? A decent enough shooter. I'm not going to call him a good shooter. I won't. Maybe it happens this year. Maybe it doesn't. A decent enough shooter. He makes his free throws. So that means for his career, Obi Toppin's true shooting percentage is 59%. And his turnover rate is just 9%. It's never been 10% a single season of his career. So that's above average career efficiency and a low turnover rate. So basically he's an at worst, an efficient player who makes few mistakes. There you go. That's a young player worth taking a flyer on. And with that profile of an athletic finisher, certainly somebody worth taking a gamble on. They'll want to see more, how he can fit with Walker, or how he, whatever separation happens at that position. How do they fit with it or around each other? But that's a worthy two guys for a four, for a rotation at the four spots. We'll see what this means for other guys who could be in the mix for minutes at that position. But I think there's a good trade for the Pacers, right? They have, and if you, depending on what the second round picks are, it's funny that you could look back and go, they traded pick seven for Jarris Walker and Obi Toppin, right? Because the two seconds, if it's those two seconds from that trade, that's effectively what happened. So trading seven for two fours for their rotation, a good bit of business by the Pacers. And now they have Obi Toppin on their team. We'll have someone who covers the Knicks on next week to break down his game. We'll do that for all the new guys, uh, a Nuggets person for Bruce Brown, uh, a Knicks person for Obi Toppin, just to get more details on the Pacers new guys. But not Pacers new guys. Chris Duarte reportedly going to the Sacramento Kings. What's up with that? We haven't heard anything about that since the initial report from Shams. Uh, let's dive into that, what it means for the Pacers, all sorts of other things on Chris Duarte in the upcoming second segment. Before we do that, though, this episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp. For me, I was feeling uncertain kind of about my life about a year ago what I wanted to do with my career, what I wanted to do more in my free time, how I wanted to progress into my truly adult life. My mid-20s were over. Sometimes in life, you're faced with tough choices. The path forward isn't always clear whether you're dealing with decisions about career relationships or anything else. Therapy helps you stay connected to what you really want while you navigate life so you can move forward with confidence and excitement. Trusting yourself to make decisions that align with your values is like anything. The more you practice it, the easier it gets. And therapy can be helpful for anyone to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, or empower themselves to be the best version of yourself. It's not just those who have experienced major trauma. So if you're thinking starting therapy, 
Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists to any time for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnNBA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash LockedOnNBA. Check it out today. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today. And every single day for your second listen, check out Lockdown Rockets, who did what and wow and whoa. Who's on their team now? Who isn't? This trade exception that Memphis is getting might be huge. And Dylan Brooks is on the Rockets now. And Patty Mills was on the Rockets for like two seconds. But now he's not in Jackson Gatlin at Lockdown Rockets. We'll have more on the Houston Rockets, who are going to be a very interesting team this year. Speaking of interesting, yesterday morning, and again, I would like a lot of credit for finding a tweet because that is the hardest thing on planet Earth to do right this second. Yesterday morning... 10.38 a.m. on June 30th. Well, this is two days ago now for you listening. Shams Tarani of the Athletic Stadium tweets, The Indiana Pacers are nearing a trade sending guard Chris Duarte to the Sacramento Kings for draft compensation, sources tell Mr. Shams Tarani. And we haven't heard anything since. And I have not been able to get much detail on this. So a lot of people have asked, is this actually happening? What's going on here? Here's what I will say. They signed Bruce Brown and they traded for Obi Toppin. And if they didn't agree to a trade to trade away Chris Duarte, they would only have one roster spot. So perhaps they're up to something else. But, I mean, it seems like, you know, you could put the dots together here. Nearing a trade says what it is. Um, And we've seen these languages from these newsbreakers before about what this all means. Again, I haven't heard anything on this, but there's no spot for Toppin and Brown right now without something else happening is my big picture way of saying just relax like I you know I get why everybody wants to know all the details and I promise you I'm trying to get them but it's okay it's going to be okay we'll figure it out when it's time to figure it out the moratorium can be tricky for these NBA teams to navigate nothing can become official outside of minimums first round pick signings which the Pacers did yesterday uh, and two ways until the sixth so beyond the questions of what's what's actually happening value wise here it does make sense right that Chris Duarte would be on the move. I was asked a lot on the radio or in various conversations in the offseason, who do you think could get moved? And a lot of people would kind of lean into, could it be Chris Duarte? Because if you just look at the two, three spots with Neesmith and Shepard and Heald and Matherin and Nemhard, who knows where Nemhard's going to slot this coming season, that's a lot of bodies already. And now Bruce Brown is also in that mix. Like, that's a lot of dudes Some of them can play the two, some can play the three, some can play the one. If you assume two of those guys play the two, and two of them play the three, and one of them plays the one, you got enough minutes for everybody, except for maybe Ben Shepard, your rookie. So that's great, but if Duarte's in the mix, now you have one guy who is young and talented and not playing, and so it's it's just too many, right? And so balancing it out by getting assets for one of them makes sense. Who would it be? There's good arguments for a couple of the guys, right? The, but the one they either felt the lowest about for their future, the one who has you know the least trade value, the one who has the most trade value, how do you decide that? And I don't know any of those answers. I don't know who had the least or most trade value or who the Pacers valued or didn't value the most, but it makes sense that they would move on from at least one player at the position. And if it's Duarte because they felt like they had other guys that they liked more, they liked the asset return they were getting for him compared to whatever else they could have gotten from someone else. And we don't know what that is. Either way, it does make sense to me that they would, especially again, 
after drafting Ben Shepard and getting Bruce Brown, need to trade away a 2-3. There was a lot of questions about that position after the draft. And so that's where this is with Duarte. It makes sense. And given the Pacers roster numbers, uh, the fact that a trade is coming potentially or we'll learn more about it is important here. Now, the value of this will be very interesting to me, right? We just saw with this Obi Toppin trade, uh, what can happen to you know a guy who doesn't necessarily have the best seasons after being a high pick? Now, Duarte is interesting because he had a season much better than any season Obi Toppin ever had as a rookie. He was a great rookie, right? Made, made second team all rookie, got praise from KD and LeBron and Russ. And I kept saying, yeah, I think he's going to be an elite shooter one day. And that looked really dumb last year because the shots weren't falling. And he took good open shots like all the numbers said Chris Duarte a lot of his shot profile was more open than it was the year before and all that, but they didn't go in. And my theory was a lot of the time he wasn't as good at the faster paced pacer style than the slower paced pacer style. And he got hurt at a critical time for building chemistry with this group. Clearly a down year last year. There's no way of sugarcoating it. Those things I just said are not excuses. They are bad things that happened to his season and getting hurt is a problem, but they are reasons that it potentially could have happened regardless of how good or bad he was. Last year, it's not like Toppin where it's like down year after down year. It's a good year and a bad year. How do you value a lotto pick in that range, especially one who's 26, right? I don't really know what to peg his trade value at. I personally would have been pretty reluctant to to give him up for less than a protected first, honestly, just because I bought the shooting so much. Uh, and maybe that's delusional. And I understand that that might be delusional, but I'm high on the shooting and he can kind of defend that he's a wing. Um but no one else views him as a wing other than me. And the shot completely disappeared last year. So if no one else views him that way, perhaps his value is lower than I think. And we just saw Obi Toppin go for two seconds. Perhaps that could be the case here. Maybe it's a really heavily protected future first. Maybe it's two seconds. We'll see. The Kings are out a future first. They traded it for Kevin Herter. Uh, but they do have some great second rounders. They've got 2028 from Dallas. That could be good. That's post Luca's current deal and post Kyrie's current deal. They have a 2025 Portland second. Hey, Damon Lillard requested a trade yesterday, if you didn't hear, because Twitter was ridiculous. Um, so that could be an awesome second. So perhaps there's some good seconds that could make this seem like first round value if they're both good. Um but it, it would make sense what this could look like. I am guessing at these picks. This is not reporting. I'm just looking at what the Kings actually have. Um, I think his value should be at least medium high, though. Like one good year from a former lottery pick just seems like it should be a valuable player. Maybe his age plays more of a factor than I'm giving credit for. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what the his value around the league is. And we'll find that out at some point. And if opposing teams don't feel the way I do, that is actually what matters. Uh, but it'll be worth investigating why he didn't have a better year too. That'll be a podcast for later in the summer and why it led to this actually happened and him being the guy that they chose to move among that group. For Duarte specifically, reunited with Domas, who he was fantastic with, right? I just talked about how the faster-paced pacers may not have been as good of a fit for him. Well, the Kings, they do play kind of quick. Aaron Fox is lightning quick, but Sabonis still slows it down and does his handoff stuff and is an amazing screener. And hey, that will still pair well with what Duarte is good at and how he reads the game. That's a good pairing. Uh, when they were in Sacramento earlier this season, Duarte, TJ McConnell, and uh, Sabonis went out to dinner the night before that game, right? They're all still close. So that's a good spot for him. And congrats to DeMontis Sabonis, by the way, for getting like $200 million on a renegotiation and extension. So we'll see. This could it, it, it be a sell low situation, um, but it could be that the Pacers almost had to. Their roster crunch dictated that they were going to have to make moves like this. Now, 
being in a situation where you have to sell low isn't good. Uh, and we'll see what the value is. I'm not saying they did sell low. I'm saying we'll see that that could be the case just because of their roster balance. But balancing your roster makes sense. Getting value for a guy that might not play on your team next year makes sense. And we will see where this ends up. It's hard to totally judge it without compensation or knowing if it becomes a bigger thing entirely. We will find out in the next three, four days. And you know we'll talk about it here on the Lockdown Pacers podcast. Speaking of talking about it on the Lockdown Pacers podcast, one more segment today. O'Shea Brissett is leaving the Pacers. Where does that leave the team financially? What can they still do this summer? Let's do a quick roster update to close out today's show. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, listen to Locked On Lakers because the Lakers might have had one of the best free agencies of any team in the league. They did a fantastic job. To me, the Kamenetsky brothers can break that all down for you at Locked On Lakers. Here at Locked On Pacers, talk about O'Shea Brissett, the first external Pacer headed out the door uh, per Woj two-year deal with the Boston Celtics, the player option on the second year generally. A short two-year deal with a player option is a low-value deal financially. We don't know the terms of this yet, uh, but the player option is good for the player, so it gives him a chance to either prove his value and then opt out and get more money elsewhere or just opt in and get paid what they thought they'd get paid this summer. We'll see what that means for Brissette. He's not on the Pacers, so I don't want to get too much into the nitty-gritty of the fit and the money and all sorts of stuff like that. But for Brissette, as Pacers fans know, uh, a good fit for him is a potential backup for for that team. They just traded Danilo Gallinari away uh, in their Kristaps Porzingis trade. That was potentially one of their backup fours. And we'll see where they end up financially, but they could lose Grant Williams as well. If they lose both of those guys, they're going to need some depth at the four, and O'Shea Brissette can certainly be that. Him and Malcolm Brogdon now on the same team for now once again uh, and that's a good landing spot for Brissett to me especially to get two guaranteed years of money uh, is good stuff that also means he's not going to be on the Pacers they could have extend let me rephrase this he was eligible for an extension before free agency started they had full bird rights on him but it didn't really make sense with the Pacers roster crunch for him to return this was what I predicted would happen not Boston specifically, but just not re-signing with the Pacers. And so he is the first external Pacer to sign elsewhere. Gabe York, uh, James Johnson, George Hill, and Kendall Brown still out there. Although Kendall Brown I saw yesterday in the Pacers facility because he's on the Summer League roster. So he is a little bit of a different camp than the rest of those guys who are unrestricted free agents. So that means George Hill's cap hold, excuse me, George Hills. I clicked on his name before I started talking. O'Shea Brissett's capital is off the Pacers books because he's signing with a different team. So where does this leave the Pacers now? Well, they had 12 players under contract entering the draft. They bring in Jarris Walker and Ben Shepard. That's 14. If you subtract out Chris Duarte, that's 13. You add in Obi Toppin and Bruce Brown. That's 15. That's a full team. As it stands right now, the Pacers have 15 guys with a guaranteed contract for the coming season. That's a full team. And then they have one of their two ways reportedly agreed to in Oscar Shibway, who we could see also at Summer League practice earlier today. And then we'll see who the other two end up being. It feels like Kendall Brown and Isaiah Wong are the obvious candidates, but we'll see how Summer League could change things or what else goes on in the coming weeks. It's too early to ever say anything is done or agreed to or anything like that. That's what the Pacers roster situation is. They can bring other guys into camp. Summer League's probably going to be a factor there. But what everybody's curious about is the finances. Well, Bruce Brown at $22 million this season and Obi Toppin at $6.8 million this season in the final year of his rookie deal. Uh, that's $28 million, the over $28 million. The Pacers have brought in in salaries 
uh, since free agency began, plus their two draft picks, of course, and only went out was Duarte's 4.1-ish million dollar deal for the coming year, which means they've taken in quite a bit of money. Uh, and that leaves them, in my projections, with roughly $7.5 million left in cap space. And that's if they get rid of all of their cap holds, which their cap holds have a very low value because it's all minimum salary players to me. Uh, I suppose there could be some sign-and-trade value for an early bird rights George Hill if you want to keep that hold around, and you probably should as long as possible. But it doesn't effectively matter. And the effectively thing that does matter is the $7.8 million in cap room. Now, the other thing that I don't think I've talked about very much and I have done a disservice by not explaining as well is the Pacers also have something they can use called the room exception, which is a $7.7 million salary cap exception that is separate from their cap space. They cannot combine it with their space, but it's two totally separate things. So really, they could sign two players to $7.5 million contracts still right this second. Um, they'd have 17 guaranteed contracts and have to cut them in, at some point, but they could legally do that. So they still have some spending power to bring in two at least decent level players if they wanted, but they have 15 guys under contract, like I just said. Um generally as the Pacers did last year right with their trade deadline move and uh, Miles Turner's renegotiation using your all of your cap space to the dollar is smart because that means you're getting as much asset power out of your spending as you possibly can so perhaps the Pacers look to fill that space they don't have to they could do it during the season they could do it next summer during the draft and use that space in any number of ways they don't have to do anything to be clear but using your space is generally smart it either gets you a player or an asset or something so the Pacers still can do stuff as it stands uh, and I think the question I will have for the rest of free agency if they are going to do stuff is do they plan on or is there going to be some sort of change? to the backup center rotation. Because as you look kind of at what the Pacers are and what they've done, I think they've at least sort of balanced out their twos and threes. It's clear who will be at what spot to me, at least mostly. Um, they, have, they have the maximum number of players there. Maybe they could get rid, stand to get rid of one more of those guys, but whatever. They have some fours now. They could definitely do with more like obvious wings, but it, at least it makes sense with their one, two, three, four Who's going to play how much? In general, I could give you a rough estimate. At the five, Miles Turner's going to start, and then, I don't know, anything after that. Uh, Daniel Tice, Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson on the team, and Oscar Shibway's a center on a two-way. Now, a two-way should not work into your plans, but you get the idea. They have a lot of guys at that spot and potentially a way to balance it out if they could get a true wing on the team. Now, they cannot trade any of those guys for a wing. I don't think any of them have that kind of trade value to net you a useful wing, but that is a, just a question I have. I don't know if the Pacers are done or not. You never know. It's the second day of free agency, for, for good Lord. Why am I talking about a team being done or not done? But you get the question I'm asking is, I think that is the next thing that I would be curious about for the Pacers is, is there going to be a move that balances out the reserve big man spots. Can they find a home for Tice, right? Is he the guy they want to move on from, or do they want to go with the veterans and have it be Turner Tice? And do they need to find homes for Jalen Smith and or Isaiah Jackson to kind of balance out what they have in that spot and maybe open up a spot for a wing that they could bring in who's a little cheaper on a flyer? Who knows? There's a lot of stuff that they can do theoretically. And again, it's been two days of free agency and I think a lot more could change when Damian Lillard ends up eventually getting traded or James Harden ends up eventually getting traded. Teams will actually be able to kind of move more stuff around. 
But as it stands now, I think that's the biggest question left. Because I think you could build a pretty obvious rotation at most of the Pacers spots. A backup big is really confusing. And there's a lot. It's not expensive, right? The Tice is not very expensive. Smith, Jackson, none of these guys are expensive. It's not like it's an expensive problem. But in terms of what you're paying versus what you're getting at a position, backup five seems like the most lopsided ratio there for the Pacers. And I'll be curious if they have something to do there because they've got their 15 guaranteed contracts right now. They clearly got better to me with the top end and Brown additions as well as the rookies. But do they have anything else they want to do or do they want to even clear a spot to bring back in one of their vets from last year in George Hill or James Johnson? Still some stuff for the Pacers to be answered and decided as free agency progresses. And, you know, we'll cover it all here on the Locked On Pacers podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed the bonus weekend stuff tomorrow. Derek Schultz, as many of you, if you're local, know um, from Schultz and Query. And I think he works for Purdue now, and he was uh, a fill-in for JMV last week on 1075. The fan uh, is going to be joining us to talk about Pacers free agency, what their team looks like now, what they could still do, how good they'll be, all that stuff. Unless between you listening this and the end of tomorrow, the Pacers make a move, in which case, guess what? We'll talk about what they did instead, because that is what everybody wants to hear about. Hope you guys enjoyed the show and are enjoying your weekend. We will see you tomorrow.